Welcome to Reading to Kids podcast. I'm your host, Jenna. And I'm your host, Peyton. And we're here to read to you or with you. We know that sometimes moms and dads don't always have the time or the motivation to read to their kids each night, and we know how important it is. So, on those nights that you're not in the mood, we're going to do it for you. Can't wait to read with you. Good job, Peyton. High five. A series of unfortunate events. Book the... Do you remember what book it is, Pay? Mm-hmm. Which one? Fourth? Mm-hmm. Peyton's already falling asleep. She's not going to make it long. Book the fourth, The Miserable Mill. Chapter 12. Klaus, Violet cried. Klaus, don't do that. Foreman Fluctuano whirled around his beady eyes, glaring from over his surgical mask. Why, if it isn't the other two midgets, he said. You're just in time to see the accident. It's not an accident, Violet said. You're doing it on purpose. Let's not split hairs, the foreman said, using an expression which here means argue over something that's not all that important. You've been on you've been in on this the whole time, Violet shouted. You're in cahoots with Dr. Orwell and Shirley. So what, Foreman Fluctuano said. Deluni, Sonny shouted, which meant something along the lines of, you're not just a bad foreman, you're an evil person. I don't know what you mean, little midget, Foreman Fluctuano said, and I don't care. Klaus, you're a lucky boy, please, oh, Klaus, you lucky boy, please continue. No, Klaus, Violet shouted, no. Kitu, Sonny shouted. Your words will, will do no good, Foreman Fluctuano said. See, Sonny saw all right as she watched her barefooted brother walking over to the log as if his sisters had not spoken. But Violet was not looking at her brother. She was looking at Foreman Fluctuano and thinking of everything he had said. The terrible foreman was right, of course. The words of the two unhypnotized Baudelaire's would do no good. But Violet knew that some words would help. The book she was holding had told her, in between hms, there was a word that was used to command Klaus, and that word would hypnotize him. The eldest Baudelaire realized that foreman Fluctuano must have used the command just now as she was trying to remember what he had said. Ooh. Okay, hold on, I'm drinking a coffee. Coffee break. He'd called Klaus a twerp. But he seemed unlike it seemed unlikely that twerp would be the word. He said log, he said push, but he didn't didn't seem like those either. She realized with despair that the command word could almost be anything. That's right, Fluctuano said. As if Klaus reached the log, now, in the name of Lucky Smell's lumber mill, pushed the log onto the path of the saw. Violet closed her eyes and racked her brain. The phrase here, which means try to think of another command that must have been used. Foreman Fluctuano must have used it when Klaus caused the accident. The first one that broke Phil's leg. You, you lucky midget, Violet remembered, the foreman had said. You will be opening the machine, Klaus had, and Klaus had said, yes, sir, in that faint hypnotized voice, the same voice that he had used before he had gone to sleep the previous night. Ego, Sonny shrieked in fear that the hymn of the saw would grow, 
would grow louder and rougher. Klaus had pushed the log up to the saw, and Charles's eyes grew even wider as the blade began to slice the wood, getting closer and closer to where Charles was tied up. As she, as she remembered Klaus's yes, sir, before he went to sleep, Violet realized that she must have used the command word herself by accident. She racked her brain again, thinking and remember, straining to remember the conversation. Klaus had called his baby sister Susan instead of Sonny and then asked if he, if he would really feel better in the morning. But what had, what had Violet replied? Keep pushing, you lucky midget. Foreman... Foreman Fluxuano said, Violet knew in an instant. Lucky. Lucky, the eldest Baudelaire shouted, not bothering to put, to put the word in a sentence as the foreman did. Push the log away from the saw, Klaus. Yes, sir, Klaus said quietly, and the Baudelaire sisters saw, Baudelaire sisters saw with relief that he pushed the log away from the whirling blade just as Charles's toes were about to be sliced. Foreman Fluctuano rolled, whirled around and stared at Violet in a beady rage. She knew that, she knew that he knew that she knew the word. Lucky, he snarled. Push the log towards the Klaus. Yes, sir, Klaus muttered. Lucky, Violet cried. Push the log away. Yes, sir, Klaus murmured. Lucky, Foreman Fluctuano said. Towards the saw. Lucky away, lucky towards. Lucky away, lucky towards. Lucky, bellowed a voice from the doorway, and everyone looked, including Klaus, Sonny, and Foreman Fluctuano, and they all turned around. Even Charles tried his best to see Dr. Orwell, who had appeared in the doorway along with Shirley, who was lurking behind the hypnotist. We just stopped by to make sure everything went well, Dr. Orwell said, gesturing to the saw with her black cane. And I'm certainly glad we did. Lucky, she shouted to Klaus. Do you not listen to your sister? Do not listen to your sisters. What a good idea, Fluct Foreman Fluctuano said. I never thought of that. That's why you're only a foreman, Dr. Orwell replied snobbily. Lucky, Klaus, push the log into the saw. Yes, sir, Klaus said, and began to push it again. Please, Klaus, Violet said, don't do this. Guys, Sonny shrieked, which meant, don't hurt Charles. Please, Dr. Orwell, Violet cried. Don't force my brother to do this terrible thing. It is a terrible thing, I know, Dr. Orwell said. But it's a terrible thing that the Baudelaire fortune goes to you three brats instead of to me and Shirley. We're going to split it, split the money 50-50. After expenses, Georgina, Shirley reminded her. After expenses, of course, Dr. Orwell said. The hum of the saw began making its louder rougher sound as the blade started to slice into the log once more. Tears appeared in Charles's eyes as he began to run down the string, trying to untie him, his, himself from the log. Violet looked at, her, at his brother and then at Dr. Orwell and dropped the heavy book on the ground with frustration. What she needed now, and most desperately, was the word that would unhypnotize her brother, but she had no idea what it could be. The command word had to be used many times, and Violet had been able to figure out which word it, it would have been over and over. But Klaus had only been unhypnotized once after an accident that broke Phil's leg. She and her sister <clears throat> had known in the moment that he started defining a word for the employees that Klaus was back to normal. But who knew what that word would what word caused him that afternoon to suddenly stop following Foreman Fluctuano's orders? Violet looked from Charles's tears 
to the ones appearing in Sonny's eyes as the fatal accident grew near and near. In a moment, it seemed they would watch Charles die a horrible death, and then they would most certainly be placed in Shirley's care. After so many narrow escapes from Count Olaf's treachery, it is seemed to be the moment of his, or in this case, her terrible triumph. Out of all the situations, Violet thought to herself that she, had, she and her siblings had been in, this was the most miserable, irreg miserably irregular. It was one of the most miserably immoderate. It was one of the most miserably disorderly. It was one of the most miserably excessive. And she thought all these words that she thought of, of the one that had, been that had unhypnotized Klaus, the one that just might save all of their lives. Inordinate, she shouted as loudly as she could over the terrible, terrible noise of the saw. Inordinate, inordinate, inordinate. Klaus blinked and then looked around as if somebody had just dropped him off at the mill. Where am I? he asked. Oh, Klaus, Violet said in relief. You're here with us. Drat, Dr. Orwell said. He's unhypnotized. How in the world would a child know a complicated word like unordinate? These brats know a lot of words, Shirley said in her ridiculously fake voice. They're, they're book addicts, but we can still create an incident with the and win the fortune. Oh, no, you can't, Klaus cried, and stepped towards to push Charles out of the way. Oh, yes, we can, Foreman Fluctuano said, and stuck his foot out again. You would think that such a trick would only work at a maximum of two times, but in this case, it would be wrong. You would be wrong, and in this case, Klaus fell on the floor and heard clanging against the pile of debarkers in a tiny green box. Oh, no, you can't, Violet cried and stepped towards stepped forward to push Charles out of the way herself. Oh, yes, we can, Shirley said in her silly high voice and grabbed Violet's arm. Foreman Fluctuano quickly grabbed the other arm and the eldest Baudelaire found herself trapped. Oh, Toonie, Sunny cried and crawled towards Charles. She was not strong enough to push him away from the saw, but she could bite through the string and set him free. Oh, yes, we can, Dr. Orwell said and searched and reached down to grab the youngest Baudelaire. But Sunny was ready. Quickly, she opened her mouth and bit down on the hypnotist's hands as hard as she could. Gack, Dr. Orwell shouted, using an expression here that is in no particular language. But then she smiled and used an expression that was French. In garde, in garde, as you may know, is an expression people use when they want to announce the beginning of a sword fight. Oh, on guard. <laughs> oh, man. On guard. Uh, of the sword fight. And with a wicked smile, Dr. Orwell possessed the red jewel on top of her black cane. And a shiny blade emerged from the opposite end. In just one second, her cane had become a sword. Which then she pointed at the youngest Baudelaire orphan. But Sunny, only being an infant, had no sword. She only had four sharp teeth. And, looking Dr. Orwell right in the eye, she opened her mouth and pointed all four at this despicable person. There is a loud, there is a loud clink noise that a sword makes when it hits, the other, hits another sword in, or, in this case, a tooth. And whenever I hear it, I am reminded of a sword fight. And it was a force to have with a television repairman not long ago. 
Sunny, however, was only reminded of how much she did not want to be sliced into bits. Dr. Orwell swung her cane towards Sunny, and Sunny swung her tooth at Dr. Orwell, and soon the clink noises were almost as loud as the sawing machine, which continued to saw up the log towards Charles. Clink up the blade inches until there was only a hair's breadth, and the expression here, hair's breadth here, means a teeny tiny measurement away from Charles' foot. Klaus, Violet cried, struggling to grip at the grip of Shirley and Foreman Fluctuano. Do something! Your brother can't do anything, Shirley said, giggling in a most annoying way. He's been unhypnotized. He's too dazed to do anything. Foreman Fluctuano, let's both pull. We can make Violet's armpits sore that way. Shirley was right about Violet's sore armpits, but she was wrong about Klaus. He had just been unhypnotized, and he was quite dazed, but he wasn't too dazed to not do anything. The trouble was, he simply couldn't think of what to do. Klaus had been thrown into the corner of de- the, with the debarkers and the gum. As if he moved in the direction of Charles or Violet, he would walk right into Sonny or Dr. Orwell, sword fighting. And as he heard another clink from the sword hitting Sonny's tooth, he knew he would be seriously wounded if he tried to walk through the dueling pair but over the clink clinks that he heard an even louder even rougher noise from the sawing machine and klaus saw with horror that the blade was beginning to slice through the sole of charles's shoe sir's partner tried to wiggle his feet away from the blade but they were tied too tightly and tied too tightly and tiny shoe sole shavings began to fall to the floor of the mill in a moment the blade would be finishing with the sole of charles shoe and beginning the sole of charles's foot klaus needed to invent something to stop the machine but he needed to invent it right away klaus stared at the circular blade of the saw and his heart began to sink how in the world did violet do it Klaus had a miserable interest, miserable or had a mild interest in mechanical things, but at the heart he was a reader, not an inventor. He, he simply did not have Violet's amazing inventing skills. He looked at the machine and just saw dead, a deadly device. But he knew that if Violet were in his cor- in the corner of the mill and not getting sore armpits from Shirley and, jo- and Foreman Fluctuano, she would see a way to help them out of the situation. Klaus tried to imagine how his sister would go about inventing something right there on the spot and tried to copy her methods. Clink! Klaus looked around for inventing materials, but saw only debarkers and tiny green boxes of gum. Immediately, he ripped open a box of gum and shoved several pieces into his mouth, chewing ferociously. The expression, gum up the works, does not actually have to do with gum, but merely refers to something that stops the progress of something else. Klaus chewed and chewed and chewed, hoping that the stickiness of the gum could gum up the works of the sawing machine and stop the deadly progress of the blade. Clink! Sunny's tooth hit the blade of Dr. Orwell's sword, and Klaus quickly spat the gum out of his mouth into his hand and threw it at the machine as hard as he could, but it merely fell to the ground with a wet plop. Klaus realized that gum didn't weigh enough to reach the machine like a feather or a piece of paper the wad of gum simply couldn't be thrown far hakita 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 the machine began making the loudest and roughest noise klaus had ever heard charles closed his eyes and klaus knew that the blade must have hit the bottom of his foot 
It grabbed a bigger, he grabbed a bigger handful of gum and shoved it into his mouth, but he didn't know if he could chew enough gum to make a heavy invention, a heavy enough invention. Unable to watch the saw any longer, he looked down, and when his eye fell upon the debarker, he knew he could invent something after all. When Klaus looked at the lumber mill equipment, he remembered a time when he was even more bored than he had been working at Lucky, Lucky Smells. This expression, boring, had only happened a very long time ago, when the Baudelaire parents were still alive. Klaus had read a book on a different kinds of fish and asked his parents if they would take him fishing. His mother warned him that fishing was one of the most boring activities in the world, but found two fishing poles in the basement and agreed to take him to a nearby lake. Klaus had been hoping that he would get to see the different types of fish that he had read about, but instead his mother sat he and his mother sat on a rowboat in the middle of a lake and did not did nothing for an entire afternoon. He and his mother had to keep quiet so as to not scare the fish away, but there were no fish, no conversation, and obviously no fun. You might think that Klaus would not want to remember such a boring time, particularly in the middle of a crisis, but one detail of this very boring afternoon turned out to be extremely helpful. As Sunny struggled with Dr. Orwell, Violet struggled with Shirley and Foreman Fluctuano, and poor Charles struggled with the saw, Klaus remembered the part of the fishing process known as casting. Casting is a process of using one's fishing pole to throw one's fishing line out into the middle of the lake in order to try and catch a fish. In this case of Klaus and his mother, the casting hadn't worked, but Klaus did not want to catch fish. He wanted to save Charles's life. Quickly, he, the middle of the middle Baudelaire grabbed the debarker and spat his gum into gum onto the end of it. He was planning to use the sticky gum as a sort of fishing line and the debarker as a sort of fishing pole. In order to throw gum all the way to the saw, Klaus's invention looked more like a wad of gum at the end of a strip of a metal of a metal than a real fishing pole, but Klaus didn't care how it looked. He only cared whether he could stop the saw. He took a deep breath and cast his debarker all the way his mother the debarker the way his mother taught him to cast his fishing pole plop to Klaus's delight the gum stretched over Dr. Orwell and Sunny who were still fighting just as the line would stretch across the surface of the lake but to Klaus's horror the gum did not land on the saw it landed on the string that was tied to the wiggling Charles on the log which Klaus watched Charles wiggling once more and once again remembering a fish and it occurred to him that perhaps his invention had worked after all gathering up all of his strength and after working at a lumber mill for a while he actually had quite a bit of strength for a young boy he grabbed his invention and pulled Klaus pulled on his debarker and the debarker pulled on the gum and the gum pulled on the log and to the relief of all three Baudelaire orphans, the log moved to one side and it, it did not move very far and it did not move very quickly and it certainly did not move very gracefully, but it moved enough. The horrible noise stopped and the blade of the saw kept slicing, but the log was far enough out of the way that the machine was simply slicing thin air. Charles looked at Klaus and his eyes filled with tears and when Sunny turned to see that Klaus when when Sunny turned to look she saw that Klaus was crying too but when Sunny turned 
turned to look at Dr. Orwell and saw her chance with a, with a swing of one big ugly boot, she kicked Sunny to the ground and held her in place with her foot. Then, standing over the infant, she raised her sword in the air and began to laugh out loud, horrible, a horrible snarl of a laugh. I do believe, she said, cackling, that there will be an, an accident at Lucky Smell's lumber mill after all. And Dr. Orwell was right. There was an accident at the lumber mill after, after all, a fatal accident, which is a phrase here to describe that one kills somebody. For just as Dr. Orwell was about to bring her sword down on little Sonny's throat, the door of the lumber mill opened and Sir walked in the room. What in the world is going on, he barked, and Dr. Orwell turned to him, absolutely surprised. When people are absolutely surprised, they sometimes take a step backwards, and taking a step backwards can sometimes lean, lead to an accident. She was the cause of she was the cause at the moment for when Dr. Orwell stepped backwards, she stepped onto the path of a whirling saw, and there was a very ghastly accident indeed. Hoyoyoy. Okay, so there's no more Dr. Orwell. That's kind of These books are crazy, man. That's this is dark. This is I don't know, man. You think this is a kid book? Peyton is not answering cuz she's asleep. Okay, bye.